This is John. I got your visual. Come in, Mike. I'm standing by for you. Roger. I'll be there in a couple of months. In the meantime, get him out. listening to the Men Among Men Stories podcast with myself, Hank, from Fire Force Ventures and Canada Camo, joined here by Bindu of the Men Among Men Stories podcast. Hey, I've seen your patient figure many times, death, waiting for your cue, but I do not hate you, death, for the enemy too, feel your touch when the rifles shout your toll, you are the impartial judge of the battlefields, who listens to a prosecution and defense conducted with something far more final than speeches. And judging by the kill rate, prosecution wins. Therefore, I do not fear you, death. Yet. There's a poem called Verdict of Battle. Written by Chaz Lauder and um, published in the book Rhodesian Soldiers and Others Who Fought, which is a compilation of wartime poetry written by a gentleman named Chaz Lauder who served in the Rhodesian Army as a medic. Uh, I think it's reflective of what we're going to talk about today, which is some stories of men that faced death and unfortunately met it during the Rhodesian Bush War. Um, we've I guess this is a little bit of a departure from what we typically do, yeah. which is we cover like one individual yeah. and we either book form or... Yeah, we typically cover an individual, uh, generally... Well, we typically cover a book. Yes. Right? And, and, and generally the book is a story of an individual. One guy. And today we're doing three. We're doing three. So yeah. it's a little bit of a different format. Hopefully you guys will enjoy it a little bit yeah. different. But um, I think that sets the tone for what we're going to talk about today. Uh, the three gentlemen we're going to be looking into their stories. After all, this is the Men Among Men Stories podcast, so we might as well share some act- some more Men Among Men stories, some direct ones. Um, John Kendrick Murphy is the first. John, Ke- sorry, John Kendrick Murphy Jr. is the first one, and uh, I'll talk about why why he is junior in a moment. And um, Sergeant Head Rwunda and Lieutenant Edward Pirangondo, all members of a legendary Special Forces unit, the Slough Scouts. The Slough Scouts operated basically from their formation in 1973 until the end of the Rhodesian Bush War, uh, 1980, at their disbandment. They operated as pseudo-operators, often behind enemy lines, conducting long-range reconnaissance, search-and-destroy missions, uh, I guess infrastructure damage missions and at times conventional combat against a very heavily armed and motivated foe. Um, they employed all kinds of interesting unconventional military tactics that are continually studied today and within this unit were three individuals that we've kind of picked that, that really exemplify um, just the unbelievable courage and grittiness. I was going to say tenacity, but grittiness works too. There's a certain grittiness to these guys. They're all pseudo-operators, right? Um, Yeah, these three gentlemen that that we're going to talk about today reflect 
will at least give you an idea of the grittiness. Now, we've covered um, stories from Sleuth Scout members in the past, namely uh, one of our episodes about A.J. Balam and Bush War Operator, and we, we kind of have a super, super long episode about Dennis Krokomp, yeah, uh, Bush the, War Operator. Yeah, the, no, his book, The Bush War in Rhodesia. Or, sorry, yes, Bush War in Rhodesia by Dennis Krokamp and Bush War Operator by A.J. Balam. So we've covered Sleuth Scout members in the past. Are there any others we covered? Sleuth Scouts, or those are the two? I think those are the only two Sleuth Scouts right. we've covered. So we're going to up that number to five today. Yep. We're going to be covering three, so a little bit different. Hopefully you guys will enjoy this uh, this new format and get us feedback, whether you like this, would like more of this. Uh, we'd love to hear it from you guys. But before we kick off um, sharing the stories of these three individuals, where unfortunately all three of them were killed in action, serving with the Sleuth Scouts, um, would like to mention again uh, a quick plug for my own business, Fire Force Ventures, which is back in business after a very long hiatus. It's it's running again in Texas. Um, I've also launched a new business called Canada Camo up here in Canada, which is built off of the bones of the former Fire Force Ventures operation in Canada. Um, Canada Camo will be focused on providing curated military apparel and hard goods largely for the North American market. Fire Force Ventures there in Texas is providing all kinds of cool and unique camouflage products, including Rhodesian Brushstroke, 3-2 Battalion, and Belgian Brushstroke. Lots of other products are going to be available in the very near future at Fire Force Ventures. So check out those two businesses. You can check out my Canadian business for Canada Camo at camis.ca. Funny enough, somebody somebody was um, messaging me on Instagram the other day saying my website wasn't working, and I saw the screenshot of the URL, and it was commies.ca. So <laughs> I'd like to make a very clear um, correction that it is not commies.ca, it's camies.ca, C-A-M-M-I-E-S.ca. If you are interested in some Uper gear, some Lumberjack Canuck Militaria, uh, if you're more interested in rare camos, particularly Rhodesian Breaststroke, 3-2 Battalion, Summer Pattern, and Belgian Breaststroke. Check out Fire Force Ventures at fireforceventures.com. Fully operational now in the great state of Texas. We should also mention Commando Blog, now back in full swing after a fairly long hiatus of their own, providing firearms content from a variety of sources and subject matter experts. You'll find excellent articles on all things firearms related, including gear, militaria, combat medicine, fitness, lifestyle, and even video games and anime. As part of their ongoing revamp, they're always looking to bring on more writers as a creative and collaborative platform for the internet firearms enthusiasts, spurgs, smees, and enthusiasts alike. Uh, all are welcome to share their passions with Commando Blog. And not a writer, not a problem. We can guarantee there still will be some excellent articles that are well worth the read at commandoblog.com. That's commando with a K, as in slash K, commandoblog.com, commando with a K. Check them out, and uh, we are also hosted there on Commando Blog as well. So you check may be us listening out there. to this podcast on Commando Blog. Potentially. So check them out if you haven't already, and if you are listening to us on Commando Blog, we appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, if you want to write for Commando Blog, just send an email to don at commandoblog.com. That's don, D-O-N, at commandoblog.com. Again, commando with the K. Check them out. Very cool website. 
Also, uh, while we're promoting other businesses, we should also promote ourselves. We have a very cool merchandise store where we sell books, including signed copies uh, of some of the books we cover in this podcast, namely Peter McAleese's No Mean Soldier and Chris Cox's Fire Force and Survival Course. Um, Actually, we just shipped out a couple of our first book orders today, so thank you very much to the people who bought those. You're great. You are directly supporting Chris Cox and Peter McAleese when you buy from us, and they're absolutely fantastic books. You can get signed copies. We also have our world-famous Rhodesian Lion horn mugs, which are harvested from actual water buffalo horns. Uh, Animals aren't harmed, don't worry, but... uh, they're pretty cool things, and uh, yeah, I know Hank really likes to drink coffee out of his, but just a fantastic mug for all occasions. Also, this podcast will always be free, but it survives by the generous support of our fans, and if you would like to support us, please consider either purchasing something from the merchandise store or uh, donating to us. You can donate for a one-time donation on our website, or you can Become one of our subscribers at Subscribestar. That's Men Among Men Stories at Subscribestar.com. And, yes, we appreciate your guys' support. Should also mention that those donations help us not only with the physical production of this podcast, as far as tech goes, but allows us to get more interviews, bring in more books, and engage in different ventures that we're currently kind of in the preliminary process of developing to be fair we've been in the preliminary processes for these for quite some time but like video projects and battle maps that kind of stuff we want to expand the scope of this podcast as far as what it covers when it comes to men among men stories give you guys an actual tactical layout or perhaps kind of more political contexts or historical context to certain engagements or events or individuals so allowing us, uh, so those donations are, are definitely going to make this content a heck of a lot better. If you already enjoy this content, you want to see more of it, you want more detail, please consider a donation to the Men Among Men Stories podcast. Again, as Bindu mentioned, on Subscribestar or a one-time donation on our website. We'll always remain free, though, regardless. Absolutely. All right, so let's kick off. As we mentioned There are three individuals we're going to cover today that are members of the Rhodesian Army's Salute Scouts, a legendary special forces unit. Lots has been written and spoken of them. A lot of the history to to this day really inspires a lot of military members across the world. I've heard just in my, I guess, internet travails, Uh, stories from guys as far away as Hungary, Ukraine, um, geez, like I'm thinking of countries, Israel, uh, obviously the UK, US, servicemen from all those different countries, literally four corners of the globe here, that have heard of the Salute Scouts, that know about their operational history, their accomplishments, just just the amount of... um, I guess, operational effectiveness they were able to achieve on such a shoestring budget operating in small teams in a very austere environment. Nothing short of impressive, 
whenever you read anything associated with the Slew Scouts, uh, the the word Slew Scouts, just just the idea of the Slew Scouts is synonymous with military excellence and special forces excellence. So again, we are covering three individuals from this unit, and there's there's many other stories, and hopefully we can cover more of those down the road. We've already covered two in the past from direct biographies of members that survived their time in the Slew Scouts, because they, they did take quite a few casualties, um, lots of wounded, lots of killed in action during the Rhodesian Bush War, but these three individuals that we're going to cover today did, well, they didn't survive to tell the tale, so to speak, and just from our research, we've been able to uh, find out a little bit more about these individuals, because their their stories, in, in the same way that the Slew Scouts are absolutely supremely impressive in many ways as a military unit these three gentlemen reflect that excellence in many ways uh, let's start off with the first guy here john kendrick murphy jr and by, by the way i should mention i've i've previously shared the stories of these guys on fire force ventures my page which now you've you've kind of taken over that story part of this so yeah. uh, we figured we share it here because he's i think all three of these guys i have shared before on fire force ventures but uh, this guy in particular um, is, I guess he reflects the very eccentric, eclectic nature of the Slough Scouts. They were never a conventional unit. They were never, in fact, they they actually only got together once to parade in full dress uniform in their entire existence. They didn't. They weren't a garrison unit. They weren't around to look pretty. They were purely operational, and they were, you know, they were working throughout the entire course of their existence, mm-hmm. which wasn't a very long period of time. It was about seven years, but throughout the entire period, they were operating. Mm-hmm. And they attracted, from the very beginning, fairly rebellious dudes. Their first commander, and really only commander, Lieutenant Colonel Ron Reed Daly, was a bit of a rebel himself in the Rhodesian Army establishment. He had previously been the regimental sergeant major of the Rhodesian Light Infantry, previously served in the Rhodesian Special Air Service. He had actually resigned from the Army over disagreements about how certain things were being run. And in 1973, he was given clearance to kind of start his own thing within the Army. So he actually came back to the military uh, after having left and formed the Slew Scouts with individuals at the very beginning like Dennis Krokop and uh, actually one of the gentlemen we are going to be talking about was, was there right from the very start um, Edward Pirangondo and it attracted throughout its, again throughout its entire history some pretty rebellious dudes and one of them was a rather eclectic fellow actually from the United States of America John Kendrick Murphy Jr. John Kendrick Murphy Jr. came from a, a long line of warriors and rebels, you could say. L- literal rebels. And, literal rebels. Because yes. uh, yes. his great-great-grandfather died during uh, fighting for the uh, Alabama Infantry of the Confederate States during the uh, yes. last sort of leg of the American Civil War. Yeah, so for my readings, it was actually, I think it was the Spotsylvania Courthouse battle, like right right at the end, like the last hours of combat in the war, the guy apparently, you know, it's, we're going back to like rep history. So 19th century stuff, it's spotty. Those of you that read our Rifleman Harris podcast, 
probably familiar with this concept. Um, when you get into 19th century history, a lot of the, I guess, the, the nameless masses, the unwashed masses of history are not really well known. There's just kind of baptismal records, and then there's a death record. Yeah. From what we know about John's great-great-grandfather, he was there from the very beginning of the war, 1861 till 1865. Uh, rebel all the way through and yeah. kind of killed in the last minutes. And this is a story that uh, apparently that he had been told as a as a child by by his father, John K. Murphy Sr., who was a career military man who had fought in the Second World War, um, actually retired from the Army as a lieutenant colonel. He had served in... From what I understand, the European Theater of Operations. I was trying to find out more information about what exact where exactly he was in in the ETO, but it's you know it's a big big mm-hmm. theater. It's, Absolutely, it's France, Belgium, Germany, Italy. He could have been. Could no, have that would have been Mediterranean. Italian? No, that would okay. have been Mediterranean. All so right. yeah, so it would have been France, like Belgium. Um. Uh, what, what's the other one? Netherlands, that's it. Did the Americans have guys in the Netherlands? Or I guess they would have had to for yeah, oper- yeah, for the yeah. Ar- Arnhem operation. Because yes. I know Netherlands yes. was mostly Canadians. Yeah, it was like a British-Canadian thing. But there were yeah. there were Americans there. No, mm-hmm. they were everywhere. They, yeah. they, they were everywhere. It, I mean, the ETO was quite big in some ways. and uh, no, the, then the But the American force was massive. Like it's multiple armies, quite yeah. literally, right? So somewhere in there, his father john kendrick murphy senior was awarded the silver star and the bronze star with a cluster oak leaf cluster for second award basically uh he was also awarded the purple heart for being wounded in combat and again i couldn't find it narrow down exactly where he was served because some of this information is still protected by veterans affairs and it's a va yeah va in the u.s so I was able to ascertain, though, from just like find a grave that he had served in the ETO, lieutenant colonel, fairly impressive military career. Because Silver Star is for like British listeners, I guess, the equivalent of like Distinguished Service Cross, or not, not quite. Maybe, maybe a military medal, right, or a military cross. Um, and Bronze Star is kind of like a mention and dispatch. So pretty, pretty impressive stuff for him. Um, that, that's the third and fourth highest gallantry decorations in the U.S. Army. Unfortunately for John K. Murphy Sr., possibly due to the fact that he was wounded, he uh, died prematurely. He was only 42 years old at the time of his death. And John Jr. was only 16. And, And no doubt, like, because of the fact that we know, like, his family history has kind of, with the, with the great grandfather and his dad kind of gone out there, um, after his death, because this guy never, you know, wrote a book or anything in his lifetime. Uh, we we know that this his dad definitely had a big influence on John Jr. Very quickly, he finished high school and joined the United States Marine Corps. Uh, went to boot camp and deployed to Vietnam. So, at a time when a lot of people were trying to avoid the draft, even those that were children of military servicemen especially folks like that were middle class folks that were you know upper class or kind of understood the idea of combat as being scary and not optimal for your existence uh 
and and a lot of people were like literally fleeing the U.S. or whatever, trying to get deferments. Uh, he volunteered. He's one of the few, the many, well, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Americans that actually volunteered to go fight in Vietnam with the Marine Corps. Which, I mean, you know, put one and one together. He joined the Marine Corps at the time of Vietnam as a volunteer. It's clear what, uh, you know, where he sit on political issues. Yeah. Right. <laughs> To be fair, I guess his great grandfather was a reb, so we can we can only postulate, but yeah. we can we can kind of we you know, and as we talk about his Rhodesia time, we'll we'll get a clearer picture of this guy, but like more things will make sense here, but like definitely like just from that little bit of information that we're able to ascertain, he we know what 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 team he swings for, and that's Team USA. Yeah, he finds himself deployed to Vietnam, and again. This is this is one of those VA things that I kind of I couldn't get any further details on, but there there are records out there, like public domain records, that he received two bronze stars for just like his dad, you know, bronze star with a cluster, um, oak leaf cluster for combat actions. Just like his dad, he was also wounded, right? And Unlike his father, who came back in from the Second World War, no doubt to like a hero's welcome, right? Where there's parades and Truman, President Truman showering him with praise, and Eisenhower, you know, speaking to the troops, Patton speaking to the troops, and there's this great celebratory attitude, right? Mm-hmm. This this great war is over. We've we've yeah. won. We've completely annihilated the enemy. John Jr. came back to a very different United States. Uh, very different welcome home. Very you could even call it a welcome home. Yes. He was derided by the public as a dangerous killer and like many Vietnam veterans was like openly harassed on the streets, spat on, things thrown at him, called baby killer, that whole kind of trope. It, it did happen, right? And, mm-hmm. and a lot of guys... Uh, wanted to kind of hide their Vietnam service as a result. They just wouldn't talk about it or wouldn't mention it. Um, but so it was... One can only imagine if one hasn't been in that situation before how tough that would be. Having, you know, done the same thing as your dad and kind of followed the family tradition, gone overseas, fought in a fairly nasty conflict, come home to uh, that, that kind of reception... Not optimal. So men like John Kendrick Murphy Jr. became the nucleus of what would uh, later be known as the Crippled Eagles, a nickname for those that had military experience of some sort in the United States military and volunteered their military expertise to go fight on behalf of the Rhodesian state during the Rhodesian-Bush War. John Jr. quite literally just made his way to Africa and volunteered right away with the Rhodesian Light Infantry. Now we've heard this story before of the experience of a foreign volunteer joining the Rhodesian Security Forces from our two podcasts with our very good friend Larry Jenkins who served in the Rhodesia Regiment and the British South Africa Police. The experience was kind of tricky, not going to lie. Contrary to kind of popular perception, the Rhodesian state and Rhodesian security forces did not entertain mercenaries. So you would have to kind of 
make your way to the country number one. Even though there were recruitment ads to join the Rhodesian military in some capacity, um, there there was kind of a tricky screening process where one, you are going to have to do some sort of a basic training. Regardless of your prior military experience, you're going to draw Rhodesian army pay and you're, you're basically going to enlist, right? It's not like, uh, it's not even like wild geese stuff or yeah, my core. It's, it's literally like you have to just join their, their army. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no foreign legion. There was no apparatus for a foreign legion. There was only one unit completely comprised of foreigners, and it was a francophone unit in the Rhodesia Regiment, mm-hmm. which performed very poorly, but that's a whole other story. But it wasn't super easy to join, but he, he still, these guys had been kind of very much betrayed by their own country, and they were gung-ho to do it, and they stuck around, and they did their bit, and went through their training. Um, they had an opportunity to prove their worth, and John Jr. definitely proved his worth as a as a very gung-ho Marine. He wanted a little more than just the Rhodesian Light Infantry. So he actually tried out for a unit called the Rhodesian Special Air Service. C-Squad, like I guess the continuation of C-Squadron SAS, which had been reformed after the which had been reformed during the Malayan emergency and had been another special forces unit in Rhodesia. Now, arguably, they weren't as effective as the Salus scouts, but they were the special forces unit. But again, as I mentioned, they you know perhaps there was a perception in John Jr.'s mind that they also were not as effective. Uh, he later remusters to the Salus scouts to ultimately be with the best of the best. And a stalwart leader, he ultimately became very well known and was known affectionately by his men as fire em up Murphy because he was you know very gung-ho and at other times as Captain America and fire things up he definitely did when in 1977 he led a team of 72 Salute Scouts which is for Salute Scout operation that's massive because generally Salute Scout operations are happening in three to four man teams if you've listened to our previous Small podcast squad size yeah if you haven't if you haven't already definitely check out our podcasts um covering aj bellum's book bush war operator and dennis Crocomp's the bush war in rhodesia they're generally operating as bindu said in like three to four man teams so 72 is like that's almost company that's strength. huge that's huge he leads them into Mozambique in what was called Operation Aztec or Op Aztec. And uh, Paul in his balls to the wall, you know, Marine Corps, uh, Ura style, he actually radioed to his men quite famously. It's like recorded in several several primary sources that these were the exact words he, he um, said to his men before they stepped off over the radio. And it was, tally ho and away we go. And it's it very a, much set the tone for the mission at hand. For sure, for sure. Um, so, John Kendrick Murphy Jr. was ordered to operate within a tight 20-kilometer radius, but he actually disregarded those orders <laughs> and yep. pushed far more aggressively than anyone expected. Yes. So, yeah, basically the mission was like a kind of a probing. We want you to go to Mozambique and force, hit him, come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he 
and his men rolled around in mock-up Frelimo trucks. Frelimo. 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 I never pronounced that correctly. Yeah, the they, Mozambique communist, They were the Mozambique basically. sort of communist uh, African nationalist guerrillas. Well, they weren't guerrillas. They were conventional. They were conventional? Yes. Okay, at this so, point, 77, the Portuguese no longer have control. So these okay, guys are so now these guys are now the yeah, state now army, the state basically. Army, yes. Okay, so they basically rolled around in these fake uh, Frelimo trucks. Yep. Uh, annihilating communist cadres and infrastructure as far away as 75 kilometers behind enemy lines. Yes. Um, they only suffered one trooper uh, killed during the entire operation, while the Zanla and Freelamo forces they were targeting suffered at least 60 dead. It was a huge boost to Rhodesian morale and a huge blow to a communist morale. It, it, it's actually... So... That specific stat, I had a hard time researching because it's like it's like one of those like wishy washy numbers. At least sixty dead. It's it's likely, given the scope of the destruction that they caused, they probably killed a lot more Frelimo fighters than that. But you know, at, at least sixty uh, of the enemy were killed. And I say that because the the scope of the destruction included like the complete destruction of the railway infrastructure in Mozambique's Gaza province, which had basically freely smuggled arms and munitions to terrorists in Rhodesia. These were being used against the civilian population of Rhodesia, black or white. The, you know the communists don't discriminate apparently when it comes to killing people. <laughs> no, <laughs> so. They the these like or these weapons and stuff were and ordnance were all being used to kind of schwack soft targets. All the stuff being smuggled in from Mozambique's Gaza province was a was used directly to kill civilians, to kill innocent bystanders that had nothing to do with the war or were perceived to be sellouts in some way by Zimbabwean communists. Yeah, lots of attacks on uh, black protected villages and on white farmsteads like. And roads. And roads, yeah, yeah, just shooting up buses that pass, you know. Landmines. Landmines, yeah. People who really were not the ones fighting this war. Yeah, civilians in every sense of the word. For sure. And his actions destroying that railway infrastructure in a pretty dramatic way, you know, completely disregarding the... I'm going to pull what's called a gamer move. Exactly, (laughs) so just going 75 clicks behind enemy lines. When you're supposed to only go 20-20... Um, that's uh that's pretty impressive, and um the an untold amount of lives were definitely saved as a result of this because at, at this point in 1977 the war was definitely escalating. Made a major in the Salute Scouts by the end of his career, he followed a lot of his comrades over to South Africa at the conclusion of the war. Um, he transferred to the South African First Reconnaissance Regiment. And as a requirement, because the Rhodesian standards and the South African standards for various, I guess, military courses didn't apply, he actually he was actually conducting a qualification parachute jump in Western Area, South Africa, on the 20th of October, 1980. Sadly, his parachute failed to deploy. From from kind of what I've read, it seems like it was a pretty low drop, and there wasn't time to or there was some sort of issue with his reserve chute. So, tragically, in that incident, he he was killed instantly as he plummeted to the ground. 
as he actually never got a Rhodesian citizenship or a South African citizenship. He had died like very early on in, in 1980. And uh, to be fair, he hadn't served all that long in the Slough Scouts or the Rhodesian Security Forces. He was still an American citizen at the time of his death. And uh, his body was ultimately returned back to the United States as a result. So he's still interred in Florida where he, he lies today. And a warrior through and through, he, he definitely deserves our respect. As I mentioned in the original Fire Force Ventures posting about him, a, a definite man among men. Absolutely. So that, in brief, is the story of uh, John Kendrick Murphy. And, you know, with, with all these other guys that we're going to talk about here, we, we'd love to hear from you guys if you guys have any other additional information on, on these individuals. Because, again, this, the sad thing about dudes that were killed in action is they didn't, oftentimes, with few exceptions, oftentimes they don't leave any direct primary source memoir. So it's all memories and stuff. Uh, of of these individuals, and we we do apologize if we get anything wrong, but this is just this is from what we've been able to ascertain from public domain records, right? And uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you guys if maybe you knew him or something, or you served with him, or you saw him, or your parents knew him, or relatives knew him. Uh, would be very interesting for us, and we can definitely follow up. We'll move on to our next guy here, uh, the next next fellow we're going to be talking about, Sergeant Head Ruinda, which. A legendary name in the Bush War annals. Yes, that that name is a is synonymous with with the word legend in many ways. He is one of only two members in the Salus Scouts to have been awarded both the Silver Cross of Rhodesia and the Bronze Cross of Rhodesia, the equivalent of kind of the U.S. Distinguished Service Cross and Silver Star. One of only two men to have been awarded these awards. So these are these are like this. It's the second highest gallantry award and the third highest gallantry award. He was awarded both of them. Originally a member of the Rhodesian African Rifles, he, like many other very dedicated members of that particular unit, had volunteered to do selection as a member of the legendary Slough Scouts. He qualified, and as a young trooper, um, he caused a lot of mayhem. So he was awarded a Bronze Cross for destroying three entire Zanla sections while him and one other man were disguised as the enemy. So basically they had pretended, in true pseudo-operations form, had pretended to be the enemy, walked right up to them, and gunned them all down. That other man was <laughs> Trooper Hungwe Rangariari, Rangari who is mentioned many times as a close friend of... Uh, Sergeant Warundas, and they were... Apologies, we don't speak Shona, by the yes. way. Just yeah. fair warning here, we don't speak Shona, so Rangiar, Rangiari, I can't pronounce that. Yes, they were close yeah. friends, and they went on many missions together. And interestingly enough, later Sergeant Rangiari was the guy that, the other guy that was awarded both the Silver and Bronze Cross. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was him and his buddy that were yeah. the two most decorated Sluice Scout members. Um, or one of the, one of, or two of the most. There's actually members. a great story I've read where they found um, they found some terrorists in the bush and they held them at gunpoint and demanded they surrender. And then the terrorists asked them, "Why would we surrender?" And Hedwarunda and Trooper Hungwe Rangarari 
said, because we're Salas scouts, the devils you've heard of. And the terrorists surrendered immediately. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> these so guys, the, uh, these guys had a reputation. These guys were ballsy. They, and they often worked basically as a team. Um, just, just the two of them. There's, there's the only picture that I was, that I've ever been able to track down of, uh, Rwanda is, is with, with Hungwe. Like they're, they're to kind of, they're hanging out together. And I think it's the award where they're both awarded their uh, silver crosses of Rhodesia. So again, Head Rwanda was awarded both the silver and bronze cross of Rhodesia. Quite interestingly, he was awarded the bronze cross while he was a below-the-knee amputee. Uh, he had lost a leg in a landmine explosion, which was very unfortunate. But he he didn't that didn't stop him. He just put a prosthetic leg on and continued to operate, which is pretty crazy and and i but and when i say operate like continue to do the these these small two to three two to four man missions behind enemy lines causing all kinds of mayhem so he soldiered on and very lucky for us we do actually have some primary source stuff this is this is from a 1977 or 78 publication called contact now it was a series of two there was contact one and contact two which details the, I guess, the exploits of a of the Rhodesian security forces. Now, to be fair, this is kind. This publication was kind of a promotional or propagandistic piece of the Rhodesian state. It was kind of commissioned by the Rhodesian state to uh, to kind of like fluff up the the nature of the war and how it had been going. Because at this point during the publication, they're they're actually like kind of losing the war slowly. And the book doesn't reflect that, unfortunately. However, this book actually does have direct sources and references from military documents at the regimental level. So, it, bearing in mind, this is a 77 publication. It is a word-for-word citation of the Silver Cross and the Bronze Cross that Hedrunda was awarded. So, first, before he was injured in, in or wounded... So firstly, before he was wounded in the landmine explosion, uh, as, as a lance corporal, he had been awarded the Silver Cross of Rhodesia for his exemplary operational service as a young lance corporal with his buddy Hungwe. So we're going to share that citation with you now. For conspicuous courage, leadership and gallantry over and above the call of duty in the northeastern border area, during current operations, Lance Corporal Head Warunda and his patrol played a major part in the elimination of several terrorist groups. On one occasion, he and his patrol surprised a group of terrorists, overpowering and capturing them. It was discovered that amongst this group was a terrorist commander and a second-in-command. In another engagement, he and his patrol were responsible for an entire terrorist group of nine being eliminated and the recovery of large quantities of terrorist war material. During these actions, Lance Corporal Head Warunda was personally involved in hand-to-hand -hand combat with the enemy. At all times, he displayed outstanding gallantry, initiative, leadership, and devotion to duty far beyond the call of normal operational requirements. So from that reading, there's a very common theme that is in a lot of other citations for the Silver Cross or the Bronze Cross of Rhodesia. Generally speaking, a lot of other, I guess, NATO countries and and I guess Second World War era medal citations because that's generally all I've you know all kind of stuff I've read uh, for historical reasons. 
medals for gallantry tend to cite one event, right? Now, I know it's a little bit different in like the Soviet system where it can be like cumulative, but generally speaking, a Victoria Cross is for like this guy did this thing at this time, at in, like on this minute, yeah. he wiped out a machine gun bunker. And same with the Medal of Honor. It's not sustained over months, at least not recently. I know, I know older, you know, Victorian era Victoria Crosses or, or Civil War <laughs> Medal might of Honor might have been a little bit different, but like kind of the modern idea of these gallantry medals is like we're going to give you a medal for or, or recognize you for one individual action that's that's common so in you know as far as i'm concerned like i think karunda deserves several medals for for what they describe there and it's just a recurring theme i mean crocom talks about this because crocom did a lot of stuff in the war and he blew up it caused all kinds of mayhem incredible bravery on his part saved a lot of people and many sketchy occasions and all he got was bronze cross of rhodesia for a period of his service right not not for individual actions but for a period and it's one of his big gripes is that guys were never really recognized in rhodesia for they're very i guess medals were given out very sparingly it's quite interesting that ed ruinda there therefore received not one but two of their highest gallantry medals so unfortunately, after this incident, though, he receives a silver cross of Rhodesia. It's a big ceremony. He goes back on ops, and his his legs blown off. So, what now? Well, as we stated earlier, rather than give up, he just throws on a prosthetic legs, goes back on ops, and unfortunately, this next citation for for the bronze cross of Rhodesia is a lot shorter. But we'll we'll read this one too. For gallantry and leadership in action, acting Sergeant Warunda has displayed courage and presence of mind in the face of enemy fire, leading to the successful conduct of operations. So, it's very, very short. It's one sentence. Yeah, it's one sentence. <laughs> well, you can... te technically two sentences, but yeah. yes, it's it's a very short compared to the other one. Um, but that's the best we got as far as his uh, so, citation for the Bronze Cross. This was a very concise way of saying that this madman with one leg went back into the bush and continued to cause the same mayhem that he had caused the enemy prior, right? Over a sustained period. And however many acts of gallantry that that they, they couldn't even add a little more to, right? Now, there might have been operational security reasons behind this, like they didn't want people to know where he had been operating or individual events, or maybe he had, you know, carried out, because this did happen, like targeted assassinations or specific acts of sabotage or like kind of false flag attacks or whatever. Um, they Maybe they didn't want to identify him as being involved in these things, but uh, this citation is for multiple acts. For sure. Not just for one individual action. So, rather impressive. Sadly, on the evening of the 17th of November, 1976, Rwanda was actually abducted from his house in rural Nyajena by Zanla sympathetic terrorists. He was actually back at home on leave and had, you know, he's just getting some R&R. Rest and rehabilitation, just relaxing for a moment. However, his, his own father allegedly 
sold them out to the Zanla terrorists, Zimbabwe African National Liberation Union, right? Zanla. Mm-hmm. He was marched into Mozambique uh, with his prosthetic leg, like marched at, at gunpoint, um, and the legendary Slough Scout was allegedly executed. Uh, to this day, his, his body was never found. The Slough Scouts, the RLI, the Rhodesian African Rifles, where Head Ruinda had come from previously, all mounted all kinds of search and rescue missions for him. Um, sadly, you know, no remains were ever recovered. No evidence, like, it's it's unclear how he met his end or what he had to endure before, you know, maybe he's still out there. We like to think so. Uh, uh, all the all this like all this tragic stuff it didn't end there. In 1978, his his widow, because he had been basically been declared dead, uh, was was actually abduct, abducted in the in the same village, the same house. These Zanli guys came back and they're like, "Hey, we weren't finished. You know, you're next." And she had been viewed as a collaborationist. They abducted her, so without question, comrades from his the Slough Scouts and a bunch of other Rhodesian security forces set out to rescue her and also obviously because of the because of who she was clearly like the guys that had kidnapped her must know must have known something about what had happened to Rwanda never leave your own behind exactly so the slew scouts mounted actually a pretty successful operation retrieving the wife um on the 17th of February 1978 they were actually able to track her down like full-on track line, find her, bring her back. But on the way back to Nyajana to basically bring her home, uh, they were ambushed by Zanla terrorists. And it was there that in the first few minutes of the firefight, Lance Corporal Richard Cook, Sergeant Chutsi Ringisea, Trooper Martin Rungwe, and Trooper John Whitfield, all members of the Slough Scouts, were killed in action. Trooper Keith Moss was also badly wounded uh, with gunshot wounds and and passed away a short while later the following year the bush war basically came to an end as far as combat operations for the rhodesian security forces went they became zimbabwe rhodesia lancaster house agreement and you know everything kind of came to a whimpering end and sadly throughout the all that time rwanda was never found he's still has not been found he is one of the very few missing in action casualties of the Rhodesian Bush War well as I mentioned in my Fire Force Ventures posting about him like it's true what they say Rhodesians never die and maybe he's still out there I don't, yeah. know, I don't have anything yeah, more to say a bit of a tragic end yeah. to a great great warrior well maybe he's still out there I don't who knows that, that's true who knows wouldn't bet money on it but yes let's think optimistically yeah, he's uh, the head ruined the story is 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 something else. It, it is like I think it it is it just it just defines the the amount of personal sacrifice on the part of the Shona and Netabili that supported the Rhodesian cause. Like it, it's unbelievable. The, by the way, Salute Scouts were ninety percent black. Overall, the Rhodesian security forces. So that's all BSAP, Army, Air Force was about 80% African, Native African, 20% European origin, right? G- generally speaking, there are a few colored people, Indians, Chinese, and the like, but 
generally speaking, 80% black, 20% white. The Sleuth Scouts were more like 90%. Right? This was a very African unit. And, uh, you know, Hedrunda's example and, you know, what, what, he, what he had to go through, the fact that the war was brought back home, and ultimately that's what spelled the end for him. Um, and the fact that he, despite losing a leg, kept going out there, he just, he kind of, his story really embodies that, that whole experience, including the, the tragic ends that a lot of these, the, the black Sleuth Scout members had to face um, at the conclusion of the Rhodesian Bush War. So on that note of the Sleuth Scouts being a predominantly black African unit that actually did support the Rhodesian cause, um, we come to another individual, Edward Purangondo, and he, he embodies something that was brought up with me a few years ago when I was actually doxxed by a bunch of journalists and had my life kind of thrown for a spin, to, to put it gently, um, over my connections to Fire Force Ventures. And that, that's the idea that, like, the, I guess, like, any, like, white nationalist or white supremacist or whatever that, like, loves the idea of Rhodesia, um, is a moron because they don't they clearly don't know the history because uh if they were to hear the histories of guys like Rwanda and, and Edward Pirangondo I'm going to talk about um the black Africans really pulled their weight in this war and Edward Pirangondo like probably in, in 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 at least in my books he is probably the most decorated black African Sleuth scout however he was unfortunately never recognized towards the end but th th this is I think Edward Pirangondo was the ultimate embodiment of of like just the black African response to communism and it wasn't as positive as certain stupid journalists would like you to believe so Edward Pirangondo he enlists in the Rhodesian army like a lot of other young black Africans. There's a very good article from a, a West Point officer that kind of addresses the motivations and it's stand typical like vague patriotism but this is also a paycheck, this is a pension, I can get family housing and you know I can get some sort of status in society. The same reasons that you know anybody today would be joining any western military and he enlists in the Rhodesian African Rifles right? The, the primary infantry regiment of the the black Africans, he, from, so this is not from any online primary sources, this is slightly an anecdotal, but I, I, I know an individual who actually was on um, Edward Pirangondo's basic training when he was a young private in the Rhodesian African Rifles. From what I have read, Pirangondo was... He was not the best soldier at times, <laughs> to, to put it gently. He, now he, he, he came from kind of an um, urban setting of sorts, and he seemed to be a bit of like a pimp and a, and a con artist. I'm not, I'm not trying to disparage him, but he was a, he was a shifty fella, right? Even, you know, and, and I'm not, this isn't coming, by the way, from like a, biased 
sources is from a fellow black African who served with him. Like he was, he was a little bit shifty. He he, perhaps like wasn't. He's like the kind of guy that does need to be broken down in basic training because he's not he's not coming into it with this this mindset of like he needs to be broken down and built back up. Right? He's not coming into it with a mindset of I'm gonna be, you know, I'm gonna be like the ultimate. So I'm going to follow every order. I'm going to impress everybody. I'm going to do my be a really good like he wasn't really a garrison soldier. That's the best way to describe him. He was a bit bit of a rebel. He was a bit of a rebel. Um, he, from from under some of my readings as well, and and some folks that I've talked to, like he he seemed to be like a bit of a con artist of sorts, right? Yeah. Uh, lots of I guess underworld connections. Um, However, when it when it counted, when he was on the range, when he was in the field, fieldcraft, and later operations in the Rhodesian African Rifles, when he passed out, uh, I think it was with First Battalion. He was a very very good soldier when yeah. it really mattered, mm-hmm. when it was operational, when it was in the field, and from just just kind of his his attitude towards everything, right? Where he was kind of a in the same way John Kendrick Murphy was a was a huge rebel, this guy was a bit of a rebel, right? Due to his rebellious nature, he was spotted by none other than Lieutenant Colonel Ron Reed Daly, along with the, the individual that I talked to about Edward. And Ron Reed, for whatever reason, really took a liking to him and recruited him into the, I guess, the first group of what would become the Sleuth Scouts. Uh, the first... He basically poached this guy from the RER and said, like, you're coming with me and we're going to fight the war a little bit differently than the RER is going to fight it. Edward was on board and right away he, he, he really took it all to heart, the idea of pseudo-ops. He developed his own nom de guerre, calling himself Ringo, grew out his beard, kept his fingernails super long, stopped bathing, started wearing earrings, looked and smelled pretty convincing <laughs> he was really good at uh, pseudo ops pretending yes. to be a terrorist uh, he would often go out alone on long range reconnaissance you missions emphasizes alone behind enemy lines yeah. looking like a psycho <laughs> yes literally would walk into terrorist camps completely alone looking and smelling like a terrorist and just sort of you know look around talk to people understand what's going on then walk all the way back through the bush to uh to his commanding officers to report what he's seen yeah at one point he actually spent five whole days behind enemy lines just hanging out in a camp and like he wasn't one of them like yeah maybe they should have known but he he played the damn part so well that uh he was able to spend five full days there he went back hooked up with some homies from 1st Battalion, Rhodesian African Rifles, and the Sleuth Scouts. Told them, like, this is a weak point, weak point, weak point, weak point. The arc of fire here is not covered or whatever. Just gave them a full rundown of this base. And like clockwork, Sleuth Scouts and 1RER kicked off an operation that killed 35 Zipra insurgents, wounded and routed many more. And the Rhodesians only lost one man as a result of the intel he provided. He, he did this again, Operation Mirix, uh, and 
he, he kept doing this and the, the guy was so brazen like he would go up to commander terrorist commanders and stuff and like shake their hands go hello what's your name how many men do you have here what are your schedules like cool and then like that's ballsy because like he was a stranger as a former con artist he very much put his skills to use on behalf of the Rhodesian uh, security forces uh, this guy I think could uh, could charm a crocodile and uh he definitely, definitely would be um, in about the same amount of danger doing this. <laughs> yes. Yeah. In his citation for the Silver Cross of Rhodesia, it, it notes that he had personally accounted for at least 14 uh, enemy kills and 8 captured during the course of his many solo missions. He often worked with a gentleman by the name of Chris Schellenberg. Captain Schellenberg was probably the, or Shuley, rather, is mentioned in Dennis Krokomp's book. I think we mentioned him in the podcast as well. We cover Krokomp's book, but he is by far the most decorated Slew Scale member with the Grand Cross of Rhodesia under his belt. So he, that guy um, worked with Edward Pirangondo and Pirangondo himself was actually slated to be recognized with the Grand Cross of Valor himself, which would, which like would have made him just as decorated as Schillenberg, right? He would have been in all the history books. There would have been a lot more written about him, a lot, lots of information about him. In the same way, there is a lot of, like I guess, coverage of Schillenberg, his pictures everywhere and stuff. Would have been the same thing for him as a result, right? Uh, however, he never lived to see that award in. At the conclusion of the Rhodesian Bush War, at the disbandment of the Slew Scouts, he was, again, slated to receive this award. However, he had been temporarily remustered into a unit called the Holding Unit Rhodesian African Rifles. Because, again, there was no more Slew Scouts. There was really no more Special Forces formation in Zimbabwe at the time. So guys were kind of being rotated to various holding units. And while serving in this holding unit, this is where the story gets a little murky. He and another former Slew Scout member, Corporal Morgan Moyo, either on their own volition or under orders from elements unknown, drove a car packed full of explosives outside St. Mary's Anglican Church in Salisbury. Again, this is the 13th of February, 1980. And for, for those unaware, for the 14th of February was a pretty momentous day because that's the day... Robert Mugabe became president. And at the time, there was, there was something happening concurrently called Op Quartz, where if he did not win the election, he was not inaugurated a president for whatever reason. Basically, they knew he would start wigging out, and there was a plan to shut him up with a little bit of Rhodesian firepower, right? It would have been a coup d'etat, right? So... Basically, in order to prevent the war from continuing, because yes. they knew if Mugabe lost the election, violence would break out again. It was an operation to basically attack him and his followers when they were all in one place, right? Exactly. More or less? Yep. yep. It was just to finish this off and we'll do the elections again. And if we got to prolong the war, we got to prolong the war. But we don't want Mugabe prolonging the war, mm -hmm. right? So it, it's a very tense time and there is a lot of, I guess cloak and dagger stuff happening in the in this period and in the middle of this they have a vehicle full of explosives 
Again, it's quite murky. This is where the story gets really murky. The vehicle blows up, and unfortunately, Edward Pirangondo, who's actually a lieutenant, he's one of the few black Africans that's commissioned in the Rhodesian Army as an officer, and Corporal Morgan Moyo are both inside the vehicle. They are they are killed uh, instantly in this explosion. They're vaporized, and it, it's still a matter of conjecture as both Pirangondo and Moyo were both recorded as being killed on active service in an accidental explosion. To this day, it's still not clear what the heck was going on, whether it, this was part of Operation Quartz, whether they, these were like verbally transmitted instructions to blow up this church or possibly even like to drive you know, further from this church to kill Robert Mugabe. Who knows? Who, who knows? Right? Or these guys could have been just trying to blow up the church or just transporting explosives from one place to another. And it's unclear whether or not like this was just a freak accident or these guys, who by the way were very competent at handling explosives, which kind of rules this out, but like there's potential that they just screwed something up handling these explosives and didn't handle them safely and they blew up. Could be also bad gear, maybe bad or, or bad or bad, bad equipment. Some environmental again, freak issue. accident. Could have yeah. been a freak accident. Uh, could have also been, well, sabotage. Absolutely. And uh, this, this, I mean, this. We don't mean to get conspiratorial here, but it has often been said that the leader of basically the Rhodesian secret police, the Central Intelligence Organization, a gentleman by the name of Ken Flowers was an MI6 asset that at every opportunity would get in the way of Rhodesian security force operations, get in the forces special branch, the SLU scouts do his own thing and earlier on in actually in the Bush war, assassinate individuals that tended to be more moderate as far as the African nationalist goes, right? And ultimately propel people that were not so moderate like Nkomo and Mugabe into power. There's all kinds of theories about him and this is not necessarily what this podcast is about, but you know, just as as Bindu and I were talking about this whole kind of murky end to a, a very distinguished individual who honestly was entitled to the Grand Cross of Rhodesia. He was going to get a citation for it, going to get the medal and would have been super famous and stuff um, meeting this rather bizarre end in a very sketchy time in Rhodesian history we found this excerpt actually from Ken Flower's book and it's kind of his apologia to to uh, the I mean it's never been like fully confirmed he never had a deathbed confession that he was I was a double agent for the British and I was interfering with the Rhodesian state and I was like covertly helping Mugabe or whatever because the biggest thing that people point to as evidence that Ken Flyer was a double agent was the fact that Mugabe actually kept him around for a, a full year after independence when all the other white officials in the country were being purged from their posts and either bureaucratic posts or military posts are they're being removed. Uh, he was kept on. And you'd think that the the leader of the evil enemy Gestapo would be the first thing you would remove, but the fact that he, he kept them around. And not only that, in Ken Flower's actual memoir, he speaks very highly, suspiciously highly of 
Robert Mugabe is such a great leader and great listener and all this. That's kind of what throws me off. Like, I will say just small disagreement with you. I think it is possible that he... I can see why Mugabe would keep this guy around to help, like, organize his own secret police. There's a lot of, for example, ideas that the... um, Heinrich Mueller, the head of the the actual Gestapo, yes. was recruited yes. by the Soviets and pro- for intelligence work and to help train their NKVD operatives. That's not it's not confirmed, but it's highly suspected that's what happened. I could see a similar thing with Robert Mugabe, but the fact that Ken Flowers speaks so highly of that'd be Mugabe, like, that'd be like Mueller speaking highly of like Stalin. Yeah, I don't. Be suspicious. Yeah, it'd be very it's suspicious. Like, were you a communist the whole? T- you know, yes. it's, it's just yeah, no. And there's just there's a many there's many many little yeah. things throughout Ken Flowers' career that leads credence that he wasn't fully on board with the Rhodesian cause, and he was acting very suspiciously towards yeah. Ian Smith. And the Rhodesian government. Well, I think he was... The book is openly antagonistic towards Smith, without mm-hmm. question. He There's yeah. a little bit of name-calling, perhaps more than you'd expect from a so-called gentleman son or whatever. He calls... Like, he, he also has a huge ego in it. Yes. Um, he's dead now, right? Oh, yes. Okay, yeah. good. We, can, we can't defame the dead, so yes. can't sue us, estate of Ken Flower. But yes. yeah, Ken Flower sucked. Yes. Uh, the book, by the way, is Serving Secretly, Rhodesia's CIO Chief on Record. Our copy looks like it was dunked in a toilet. Yeah, there does appear to be some water damage. We did not dunk it in the toilet. We did toilet. not dunk it in the toilet, yeah, but I, I, I understand yeah. why someone would dunk this book in the toilet. Yes, it, yeah, it we're not advocating the destruction of books, yeah. but out of, out of all the ones that we've uh, looked at for this, this podcast, is, this is yeah. probably the one we've had the... where we've d- had the most issues with the author. Yes. Yeah. So... Anyways, we don't know how Pirangondo died. There's no... I don't think there'll ever be anything directly definitive. He was an incredible man. Incredible life and service history and super ballsy guy. Really represented the pseudo-op side of things. Extremely impressive as far as the Salu Scout regimental history goes as to what he was able to accomplish as an individual. We can only speculate on how he met his unfortunate end. And uh, it's interesting that in in Clint Flower's book, he does intersplice bits of his own personal diary, and on the date, the 13th, the date that Pirangondo and Moyo were killed in this car bombing, he writes a diary entry where he basically kind of accuses these Salu scouts of trying to bomb churches and stuff, and and I, you know, make of this what you will. We're not going to draw any conclusions from it that we are, other than like, well, I guess we have drawn certain conclusions, but we'll we'll let you make up your own mind because this is going to come direct from Ken Flowers, and we won't preface it with anything more. Let's let's hear for direct from Ken Flower about that specific day because obviously Gonda left us nothing. The official record says accidental explosion killed on active service, but this is the mention in uh, Gonda or sorry, this is the mention in Ken Flowers personal diary as per serving secretly his memoirs apart from the top south africans i met my old friend y from cia hq who waxed enthusiastic about our performance in cio and mentioned how impressed george bush had been when director cia sadly when i got home i was again involved in or out of special operations 
mostly unauthorized, half-baked, and more damaging to us than the enemy. Even the near destruction of three churches, including the old Presbyterian church in the center of Salisbury, where Kennedy Grant and my father had been minister. As if the members of that congregation could possibly have been victims of a terrorist attack or in any way involved, and the death during urban sabotage of two members of the Salas Scouts, all of which led to a sharp confrontation at top level, rapidly resolved, I'm pleased to say, between Peter Allen, Peter Walls, and myself. It's a little sus. Yeah, it's a little... It's a little sus. It's a little sus. I, so he's... Again, this is like a actual diary entry. He's talking about, he's, I guess he's talk chatting with some guys from the CIA, and he's like, anyways, I went back home, and these two idiot Sleuth Scouts guys died, and tried. all these Sleuth Scouts guys are bombing churches, and it's foolish and half-baked, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you're reading it all contextually, and, and the context, and the timing, the fact that he's almost, like, why include that specific diary entry of all entries, right? Yeah. It's almost like he's boasting, like you know, it, you know, they tried, but it, it's like mob talk. You know, they yeah. tried to you know do some damage, but uh, let's just say it didn't work. You know, that kind of this what, what's what's the term for it when you're like the the euphemistic language of it all, right? Yeah. The euphemistic language is very very suspect. Can I also just point out how yeah. Saturday morning cartoon it is to have a CIA agent who's referred to by literally just the letter Y. Yeah. Why? Like come on, what how do we like it just, it's, it's that is all. some serious like it's just weird. that's some kids cartoon stuff. Yeah. You so a- anyways, it's all it's all cloak and dagger stuff and kind of weird. Yeah. Um and you know, at the end of the day, this is this is how the Salus Scouts met the round. It was all a little weird. Yeah. Right. There was no, however glorious the actual actions were, mm-hmm. not quite glorious. Maybe not the right word for it, but just unbelievable. Their combat operations where the the unit was disbanded and destroyed and chopped up into little pieces, and you know, t- at least attempts were made to relegate them to the dustbin of history under very weird and unusual circumstances. The likes of Ken Flower, MI6, the British government, Lord Soames, lots of individuals. It's it's uh, it's all quite suspect, and unfortunately, the the ultimate victims in in this were people like Edward Pirangondo and and the many tens of thousands killed during the Gakura Hundi when Mugabe started to wig out on on his own. Even though the Sleuth Scouts, the idea of the Sleuth Scouts, the the essence of the Sleuth Scouts kind of died with Pirangondo and, and the ultimate disbandment of the regiment the the very soul of it kind of lives on right and there's um there's something we'd want to share with you guys after telling these these stories and it's it's an excerpt from actually Ron Reed Daly's book about the Salute Scouts it's it's towards the end of this this whole story and Schillenberg, Chris Schillenberg is receiving the receiving the Grand Cross of Rhodesia, which is the again the highest gallantry medal that was awarded by the Rhodesian Security Services. And the Black Sergeant Major comes up to Ron Reed Daly and informs him 
sir, with, with due respect, we would like to sing a funeral song for um, Chris Schoenberg. And Ron Reed Daly's like, why? He's not, you know, he's not dead. It's not a funeral. He's being awarded a medal. This is great. This is great news. And, um, you know, he's fine. Like, this is weird. Like, why are you singing a funeral song? And the sergeant major explains to him, well, sir, like, this man is dead. He's been killed many times. He's been killed, like, 24 different times. You know, it's the exact number. He's just come back to life every time uh, since then, right? And he, like, these guys were really, like, skirting the line between life and death uh, on every operation. So, in a rather poignant scene, the song is allowed to be sung. A funeral song during the death knells of the Salute Scouts. Poignant and measured words in Shona of the funeral song rolled out from the regiment and rang away in echoes to the distant hills beyond. To translate the words means the immediate loss of something intangible, the least being the harmony. But to paraphrase it, the words went something like this. Come all you soldiers of the Seleuci, Seleuci scouts, we search for the men who rebel against our country. We live in the bush. We live like homeless ones. We seek the enemy who wish to destroy our country, Rhodesia. There were few eyes not wetted by tears among the spectators as the haunting harmony rang out. Few of the Europeans watching knew or understood exactly the meaning of the words, but the meaning was, in truth, a subtlety that transcended people or language. Hopefully from this podcast, not only will you get an idea of what the, the idea of what a Salute Scout is or what, what the unit represented and the incredible experiences of those that served in that particular unit for a relatively short period of time. This this episode was ultimately a tribute to those three individuals and Major John Kendrick Murphy Jr., Sergeant Head Rurunda, SCR, BCR, and Lieutenant Edward Purangondo, SCR. Hopefully you've enjoyed this tribute episode to those individuals and the Sleuth Scouts as a whole. If you yourself or you know anybody that had interactions with these three guys, because again, the, the fallen can only, can't say a heck of a lot, right? And uh, it is important we try to get as much of their stories as possible. So if you, you, you or anybody you know knew these individuals, we'd love to hear from you to follow up especially if we need to make any corrections on, on the stuff that's either already out in the public domain or perhaps needs to be corrected out there in the public domain. Um, I know like whenever I, I post about Edward Pierangondo, there's people tend to have a little little arguments on Facebook and Instagram and stuff about his, his ultimate end and, and what it meant and stuff. And People kind of call each other conspiracy theorists or Brit apolog- Pommy apologists or whatever, but like... All that aside, if you have any personal interactions with these individuals, you knew them, you know somebody that knew them, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, we do appreciate you guys, as always, listening to our podcast, the Men Among Men Stories podcast. We've actually shared quite a few Men Among Men stories. So we'll leave her there. Don't forget to check out Fire Force Ventures, camis.ca. And our friends at Commando Blog. Our friends at Commando Blog should never be forgotten. If you want to write for them, anything firearms, combat medicine, lifestyle, art, anime, gunplay related, 
give an email to dawn at commandoblog.ca. Again, that's commando with the K, dawn at commandoblog.ca. If you just want to read some fantastic articles or listen to our podcast there, commandoblog.com, commando with the K. I should also mention Fire Force Ventures' website is fireforceventures.com. That's my website for my Texas business. For the Canadian side of things, Canada Camo, camis.ca, lots of cool militaria, hard-use goods there, all kinds of cool camo patterns. Check it out, both websites. And don't forget to check out our merch store. Yeah, which is at menamongmenstories.com, where you can buy, as forementioned, uh, some really awesome books, including signed copies by the author, and our world-famous Rhodesian Lion Horn mugs. Very much world-famous. And again... Special mention to the three fallen members of the Sleuth Scouts, which we dedicate this episode to, and to all those that served in the Rhodesian military. Thank you for, um, I guess, allowing us to tell these stories and and sharing with us whenever you guys do. We we sincerely appreciate it. Uh, Thank you to the subscribers to this podcast that subscribe to us on Subscribestar, those that have donated to us or supported us directly through the merch store, and to the Fire Force Ventures Buyers Club. All your efforts enable our efforts. Your dollars here do go a long way. And uh, to those that are actively serving in the military, law enforcement, and other first responders, thank you again for doing what you do so we can do what we do. And you lot are the true men among men. Bindu? So pull up, grab a chibouli, have a great day, guys, and we'll catch you next time.